Jesus had healed him of his leprosy. We find that later on in scripture in the book of John. But uh, he was from a village called Bethany, uh, which is really uh, Bethany's house of dates, house of olives. It's a small little village, but they're uh, replete with dates and olives. And uh, it, this, the town itself or the village was called Bethany. Um, Jesus uh, is about to enter this village for the first time, but um, he's going to meet up with these three adults, uh, one of them whose name is Martha, and she's the oldest, and she has a younger sister named Mary, and then they have a younger brother named Lazarus, who I think they must have called him Laz, so we'll call him Laz, <laughs> taking that liberty. Um, and their dad was Simon the leper. And uh, Jesus was familiar with Simon. And uh, now, as we pick it up in Luke chapter 10, uh, Jesus has had a very, very eventful time just before entering this village. He has sent out 72 of his disciples. He's trained them for about three years. And he said, you know, disciples now, man, it's your time to go out and minister to the people who you meet. Uh, when you come into a house, uh, basically say, Shalom Aleichem, peace be upon you. And let your peace remain. If they are able to receive you, that's great. If they are not able to receive you, then shake the dust off your feet as a witness against them. What does that mean? Basically, it means this. If you will receive the kingdom of God, which is righteousness and peace and joy, let it be upon you. But if you will not, then you will have the kingdom of this earth. And therefore, I shake the dust of this earth off my feet. Kind of a declarative statement there. So they have done this, and they uh, were able to do some miraculous things, uh, heal the sick, and cast out demons and uh, preach the good news and they come back to Jesus at a point in time and they're rejoicing. Wow, we, we even see that the demons were subject to us. And Jesus says to them, boys, don't be excited about that. Here's what you need to be excited about, that your names are written down in heaven. It's the eternal, not the temporal that we have to really need to get excited about. And that's kind of going to lead us into uh, later on in this chapter when Jesus enters into Bethany. Before he does, uh, he's you know comes upon a group of people. There's a lawyer who stands up. Uh, he's teaching, and the lawyer says, uh, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus basically gives him uh, the first commandment, you know, love the Lord your God with all your heart, and, and basically serve people. And he says, well, who's my neighbor? So Jesus gives him the parable about the Good Samaritan. And at the end of that parable of the Good Samaritan, he says, now you go and do likewise. After that, then we pick it up here. Can you see that? Oh, you can see it. That's good. Uh, and it says this in Luke 10. As they traveled along, Jesus entered a village where a woman named, here she is, Martha, welcomed him into her home. She had a sister named Mary who sat at the Lord's feet listening to his message. If you've ever had a sister 
or a brother or a sibling that's fairly close in age and you get a little jealous because you're the older one and it's kind of expected of you to do all the serving and all the planning and all the preparation and everything and here is your younger sister and what's she doing? She's in another room sitting at Jesus' feet. What happens here? But Martha was distracted by all the preparation to be made. She came to Jesus and said, Lord, you can just hear her kind of whining here because I know what whining's like. I do it myself. Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her to help me. Well, again, that's not untypical for older sisters or older brothers for that matter. Those who are doing all of the service, all the preparation, have to have things just right. I mean, all the silverware has to be polished. The napkins have to be just right. The meal has to be just right. Why? Well, Jesus is here. That's why. It's what begins to be the curious case of Martha and Mary is Jesus' response to Martha. And he says, Martha, Martha. Anytime you see a name repeated twice, this is a rebuke. This is a rebuff. This is a correction. Martha, Martha. How you should take it. The Lord replied, you are worried about many things. But only one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion, and it will not be taken away from her. Now, the question arises among theologians and the rest of us, so what is that good thing? What is that good thing that she's chosen? Well, look at the contrast between Martha and Mary, and here's where the curious case comes in. Martha is very happy, content, and to serve, and the problem isn't in her serving. There's nothing wrong with serving. Serving is good. Many or most of us, not all of us, maybe all of us will be gathered somewhere this Thanksgiving, and there will be serving that goes on, and somebody will be in charge of it, usually a Martha. Nothing wrong with that. That wasn't what Jesus was rebuking her for. Martha, you are too distracted about too many things. There's too much on your mind. Your mind is divided. You're worried. You're distracted. You're so caught up in your serving and that everything gets done so perfectly, you're missing something. Now, your sister Mary, she's chosen the good part. She has chosen to sit at my feet and allow me to teach her. Sitting at one's feet means that you, it's a place of respect. To be seated at the feet of a teacher means I'm here to learn. I'm here to grow. I'm here to listen to and receive whatever you have to say I'd like to receive from you. So to be seated at uh, a teacher's feet is I'm a, I'm a student. I'm an obedient follower. And I'm here simply to receive. Martha, a doer. Mary, a receiver. Again, Jesus isn't putting Martha down because of her service. It's just that she's so distracted by it, she's missing even the presence of Jesus in the room. 
that's a danger. It's a danger for us. Because we can be, we can become accustomed to being Martha's. And our whole life, our whole Christian experience is that of doing. And rarely do we take time for the being. God created us for both. But being comes before doing. And we usually in Western culture go the other way. Doing, 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 and then I rest. When I'm exhausted, I rest. When I'm tired, I rest. That's not the way God intended it. When you go all the way back to Genesis, when you look, and we won't go back there right now, but I'm just going to remind you that God created for six days and then he rested. On the sixth day, he created Adam. Therefore, Adam's first day was a day of rest. And God made mankind to rest first, and then out of that rest, work, not the other way around. In our Western culture, we work, 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 we get exhausted, and then we try to rest. That's backwards. It's backwards from what the Lord instituted. And here you see it again. Jesus is not correcting Mary. He's correcting Martha. So it's her distraction, it's being so active, and it's a, it's a comparison, uh, you know, to her sister. Again, not, Jesus isn't mad at Martha. He just wants her to experience the best that she can and not be so distracted by so much. Because Mary was not distracted at all. She's sitting at Jesus' feet learning and growing. Second time we see uh, this next passage in John 11, uh, a, a sad occurrence has happened. The best close friend of Jesus named Lazarus is really sick. He's sick unto death. He's about to die. So Jesus has been in that area and he's been threatened. His life has been threatened. He escapes that goes out to the other side of the Jordan. He's resting with his disciples. Martha and Mary send a messenger all the way out. It's a two-day travel, you know, to get to where Jesus is. And it says, your beloved and close friend, Lazarus, is really sick. And it's basically saying, come quickly. So Jesus tells his disciples. I love the disciples because they're so much like us. <laughs> he tells the dis disciples, uh, Lazarus is sick. Yeah, shouldn't we go? Well, you can't go back there, Jesus. Didn't they just about kill you last week? Mm-hmm. But my time is not yet. There are many hours. There's 12 hours in a day I can work. We're going to go, but not yet. Uh, okay. Well, it's not just that Lazarus is sick. Jesus says, Lazarus has fallen asleep. Well, that's a metaphor. That's another way of saying he died. And <laughs> the disciples are as dense as me, or I'm as dense as them, and they said, well, gee, Lord, if he's asleep, you could wake him up. Well, that's not it, boys. And Jesus finally has to look his disciples in the eye and say, Lazarus is dead. Oh, now we're going to go, and you get to see the glory of God. They still don't know what he's talking about, because as they put their packs on and they start marching down into Bethany, 
they say to one another, let's go so we can die with him. There, as many things that the disciples you know, hear from Jesus, this goes over their head too. Well, they go, and when they come, you, you can see it here, uh, Jesus stops outside the village of Bethany for many reasons, not the least of which is he knows that there are already professional mourners who are mourning with Mary and Martha. Lazarus has died, been put in a tomb. And so these people are there and they're wailing and mourning and it's, it's a, probably kind of a loud scene there. Jesus stops from that house and down on the road. And the word gets to Martha that Jesus is there. And so she goes out to meet him. And she says, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. I don't think she's accusing Jesus. She's just kind of wistfully saying, you know, Lord, if you'd been here, I know you, you would have healed him. Saw you do it with my father. Could have done it with, with him. If you'd have just been here. So Jesus starts a, a period of questioning to Martha and says, you know, do you believe in the resurrection? Oh, yes, 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 yes. My brother will rise someday. No, do you believe in it now? Well, my brother will rise someday. Well, she's got good theological answers, but she's missing the point of what Jesus is asking. Do you believe that I, Jesus, standing in front of you, am the resurrection and the life? Uh, Okay, if you say so. Now, she's still not quite there. So Jesus basically says, go get your sister. So Martha leaves Jesus. Jesus stays there. Uh, she walks back, back into the house and quietly says to, to Mary, the teacher is here. He's calling for you. Oh, so immediately Mary gets up and she runs out the house and everybody follows her. Now, the people that are in the house are thinking, oh, she's going to the tomb to pay her respects to her dead brother. No, she wasn't. She was going out to see Jesus. When she gets there, she does something curiously different than her sister. Her sister ran out to see Jesus and stood face to face and talked to him. And Jesus patiently answered her questions, giving her hopefully, the hope that he is the resurrection and the life. Mary runs out. Now, she has the same question. If you had been here, Lord, you know, my brother would still be alive. I know it. But she does it having prostrated her, herself at his feet. She has fallen at his feet. That's a place of comfort for her. She understands who Jesus is, and she falls at his feet. Martha stands up and talks to him. Mary falls down at his feet. It's a very emotional scene. It's a very emotional scene. And so Jesus finally says, where have you laid him? Oh, oh, you can come, Lord. And Jesus does amazing thing, two things. One, he weeps. He's weeping with them for their sorrow. He's also weeping at just the whole scene around him. He's weeping at the death of his friend fully well knowing he's about to raise him from the dead. And so he gives the command, roll away that stone. What does Martha do? She protests, Lord, it's going to stink. He's been in there four days. Don't do it. Roll it away. 
Lord, really? Yes. Lazarus, come forth. Many say if he hadn't said the, the name Lazarus, <laughs> everybody in the region would have risen from the dead. It's the power of Jesus' words. But he says, Lazarus, come forth. They bring him out, and uh, it's a very poignant thing that he says. You unwrap the clothes that he's been buried in. It's amazing when someone is born again, in real essence, they've come from death to life. But we, other believers, friends, followers of Christ, we're the ones that get to undo the grave clothes and help them to walk. It's an important, important message for us as believers. That we came from the dead and we're, we've been born again. And when others, family members and friends, have been born again, well, there's probably grave clothes. There's probably a lifestyle that is not all that pleasant. Who gets to unwrap the grave clothes? We do. Who gets to teach them to walk with Jesus? We do. Who gets to help pick them up when they fall? We do. And that is all inherent in when Jesus says, you unwrap his grave clothes. So here's, fortunately, I'm so delighted that there was somebody in that crowd that had an iPhone and could take this picture. I'm delighted that we have this picture of Lazarus' tomb. But nonetheless, he comes out, and uh, it's quite an amazing thing. This one event, more than any other that Jesus had performed a miracle in, this one was the one that they finally said, the Pharisees who were there, that's enough. We need to kill him. We need to kill this man because that is too much power. And if he rises any more in power, he will take away the authority and the, the, good, the good graces that we have with the Roman government and we'll lose everything. So we need to make sure he's out of the picture. And it all begins, really. This is the final nail, if you will, that says, you know, we have to do something. We could leave it there and we'd still have a pretty good picture of Martha and Mary of waiting on the Lord, falling at his feet, listening to his ver words versus serving. And nothing wrong with that, but being harried and doing it and being all caught up in the process. But there's one more time we see them. Here it is. The next chapter. Uh, Lazarus has been raised gloriously from the dead. It is days really from what's called the Christ event. The Christ event is is his trial, his crucifixion, his burial, and his resurrection, all that wrapped into a very close uh, time, close period of time. And this is just days before that. And so they have this, this dinner in honor of Jesus. So Lazarus is sitting there reclining at table with Jesus, and uh, Martha is serving. That is her custom. She feels it's at her, that's her role as the oldest. But I think it's just part of how she's made. It's how she's going to serve God. Martha serves. Mary waits. Martha serves. Mary worships. So in the process of her worshiping, Mary broke an expensive alabaster box of pure, expensive perfume and pours it over Jesus' feet. 
Now, you know, if you recline at table, uh, you're, you're, rare, you're never really sitting at a table like we do. The tables were much lower, and you kind of leaned on one arm, and your feet were out here. And you eat with, with one arm, usually. Maybe you can make it with two, but you're basically, when it says you're reclining at table, that's what it means. So his feet were out here. She just very quietly comes and breaks this box of really expensive perfume. How expensive? A year's salary expensive. Judas, who took over all of the uh, treasury of all the money that was given to them as disciples as they were itinerant and traveling, said, this is terrible. This perfume could have been sold. Give it to the poor. I don't think knowing what we know about Judas, that it ever would have made it to the poor. But he just wanted to hog it anyway. And Jesus says, let her alone. She's done a beautiful thing in preparation for my burial. Wow. Okay. So Martha uh, serves. Mary does this beautiful act of worship. And uh, it's, a, it's amazing to see uh, the difference again in contrast. The four points that I'm going to leave you with, this is where if you want to write them, you can. You certainly don't have to, but I would be no preacher if I didn't give you four points, so I'm going to do it. Number one, why is rest so important? Well, rest is a prelude to focus, and focus is a forerunner of faith. All of us want to walk by faith. We want to have our faith deepened. We want to be people of faith. We want to believe God for things. We want to believe God for his presence, his power, his healing, his restoration, salvation for loved ones, all of it. Well, what does that take? Well, without faith, it's impossible to please God. But we must believe that he is and that he's a rewarder of those who seek him. So faith is is extremely important to us. But how do we get there? How do we come to the place of pure and absolute faith? Well, it begins with rest. It doesn't begin with fervor. It doesn't begin with rushing around. It doesn't begin with being distracted. It begins with rest. It's a prelude to focus. What can I focus on? I can focus on exactly what I believe the Lord wants to do. I can focus on the true nature of my need or their need. And then that leads me to having a very pure faith to say, Lord, I've rested in your arms. I have been like Mary. I have sat at your feet. I know you and I know what you can do. And therefore, my faith arises to meet the promises that you have. So that's point one. That's why we have rest. Number two. Promises are realized by people whose awareness of God is greater than their natural vision. All of us have natural vision to some degree. I myself, uh, at my advanced age, have had not one but two cataract surgeries. So I see, even without my glasses, I, where'd you go? Oh, Emma's here. Even without my glasses, I can see 20-20. I have these because it's nice to be able to read little things in front of me. I'm grateful for the vision that I have. But it's only natural. 
If that were the total extent of all I could see was all that was around me, I'd miss a lot. I would miss seeing into a realm that God invites me into. I'm not talking about weirdness or... I'm just talking about faith. I'm just talking about the God who, who invites me to realize the promises that he's given me and then walk in those promises. I'm quite more apt to see them when I don't see with these eyes, but I see with the spiritual eyes. That's why Paul could say, open the eyes of my heart, Lord. Open the eyes of my heart. I want to see you. See you high and lifted up. Well, that's what we need. And so our natural vision will only take us so far. It's like the fury of Martha's service. It'll take you so far. Nothing wrong with it. Nothing wrong with natural vision. But if you want to walk deeper, open the eyes of my heart, Lord. That's point two. Number three. Already mentioned this, referred to it. We are created as human beings, not created as human doings. Uh, Josh mentioned that I do counseling. I have a, a department of care and counseling. A lot of people work with me, and we do a lot of, a lot of work with people. And often I will sit with my dear friends seated in my office, and I'll hear a story, and it really sounds like a Martha. It sounds like I'm so, eh, they're so agitated, so jealous, so a lot of different things, and I hear them complain, and I say, yeah, okay, I understand, but do you ever take time to rest at the Lord's feet? Huh? What? What? No, I, I mean, huh? No, I'll do that when I die. That's why it says rest in peace. <laughs> no, that's not the whole idea there. Do you take time to just be? Be? I was always taught it's about do, not be. Well, I'd like you to consider the fact that maybe you got it backwards. That your doing is only going to flow out of your being. If you understand that God made you to be a human being, and out of learning who you are, comes what you do. If we have it in that order, what we do becomes so fruitful, so amazingly fulfilling, that it doesn't feel like doing it all. It feels like fulfillment. And it's not that we just sit in Jesus' presence and relax and rest at his feet one time. It becomes customary. It becomes a way of life. And if it does, everything changes from being Martha-like to being Mary-like. We're, be we're human beings, not human doings. Finally, the faithfulness that is so important to God is not measured by what we achieve, but by how we live in the process. God does not measure time. He measures growth. God lives outside of the realm of time and space. We only think in those terms. Time, space. God lives outside that realm. What does he measure? Oh, he measures the journey. <laughs> he measures the process. 
He measures how our hearts are changing. When we were driving here, I, I thought about, you know, coming to Cambria, Cambria. And, uh, <laughs> and having been here before, I thought, wow, this is preaching to the choir because you wouldn't live in this beautiful area unless you wanted to rest. I'm sure that a lot of people come here just for that reason. They want to get away from the city. They want to get away from the hassles, and they want to get away from the hustle and bustle, and they come here to rest. And maybe the entire town is like that, just a bunch of people who love to rest. So if, if so, forgive me. <laughs> I've been preaching to the choir the whole time. But if not, if you are looking at uh, Thanksgiving, for example, and you're already harried about that and the holidays and everything that's going to come and the people are going to see and, <gasps> Lord, help me. Take a minute. Sit at Jesus' feet. Ask him what's important to him. Lord, what, what do you want for this holiday season? What do you want? What's the most important to you? Because I could honestly miss it, Lord. I could miss it by my doing and not being. So even before Thanksgiving gets here, may I encourage you at some point in the next days, take a little time at Jesus' feet and say, Lord, what's important to you in these next weeks? I do want to celebrate. I do want to celebrate and give thanks from my whole heart. I want to do that with family and friends. I do want to celebrate Christmas. Uh, certainly the birth of your son and, and I want to celebrate a new year an opportunity to live for you but before any of that happens help me to be a Mary before I'm a Martha help me to be before I do I want to take this message to heart and I want to recognize that you have something in both of those realms for me thank you Josh Come on.